0: Well, again, yeah, welcome if you are new or visiting with us here today. uh, A big welcome. And we're doing something a little different today, of course. Uh, This is our Q&A Sunday that we like to do every so often. We had our prophecy update last Sunday, and then um, Q&A Sunday, we thought maybe this would be a good time to follow up with anything or give you guys an opportunity to respond with any questions and such. Next Sunday, we're going to get back into our... Regular programmed viewing, we're going to be getting back into our Letters from Prison series Where we are going through the book of Ephesians right now Verse by verse, chapter to chapter, we're going to be picking it up Where we left off, and that's going to be in chapter 4 next Sunday So looking forward to getting back into uh, just going through God's word together Letting God's word go through us And so uh, that's going to be a good time And so today, uh, we've got Pastor Randy We've got Nick Giovanni with Behold Israel Canada where we're looking just to um, go through questions that have been sent in. Thank you, everybody, that has sent in questions. So what we're doing here with our Q&A time, everybody, is you know because we have three services and we got a number of great questions that came in, uh, too many to, to cover just in one service. So we've kind of broken it up and so each service we're covering a few different questions. So if you sent in a question that didn't get answered in this service, Um, We're going to be posting um, all of this together as one video on our YouTube channel. And uh, so you'll be able to go back and watch that um, either, uh, hopefully it'll be up there by tomorrow. And you can just kind of see all the questions that were asked and and answers that uh, we've responded to. Um, We're wanting to start each service with this, uh, a couple questions that we are doing each service so that everybody can really kind of get our heart and take on this. Because I think it's an important one. We've had a couple questions came in. Uh, along these lines. How do we answer other Christians who claim we are not obeying Romans 13 by attending church in person? And then uh, could you just address scripture such as Romans 13 and Acts 5, 29 in in context and how it relates to where Riverside stands? So uh, that's a very good question. It's one that I think is important to kind of um, cover and we wanted to share sort of our heart with you regarding the stance that we've taken that's not always a popular one, and um, it's been interesting. Um, but let me, let me read to you what Romans 13 says, and it says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do you do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually. To this very thing, render therefore to all their due: taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, this of course has been, you know, uh, a very debatable thing among Christians and believers and and churches today. Now, let me let me break it down this way for you here, because yes, it's clear God has given us governments to. Rule to, you know, um, yeah, just to execute law and such. But when Paul wrote this, he's not calling for unqualified submission to these authorities. Because, of course, if they ask you to do something that is contrary to God's word or, or to what God has shown us, then, of course, we know that as believers, we're obligated to obey God First and foremost, we must always answer to the highest authority and for the church, that's Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. He's the one that we follow. Now, for those that say churches should not open but should obey the government, I would ask them, is there any reason that you would disobey authority or government? And I would have to say, And this is just my assumption, but I'd have to say of all those that say, no, we shouldn't have the church open, we should obey the government, I think they would all have to say that there would be times where they would themselves disobey government or authorities. I think everybody has that point in their life where they say, no, I cannot, as believers, that is, as believers, I cannot follow along with this when they call me to do something that is in violation of God's word or in violation to my own conscience. Now, that's an interesting thing. So the, the question then really becomes where that line is, right? Now we've seen that throughout scripture where we've seen the apostles. And of course in the question, Acts 5.29, comes in a play where we've seen the apostles at times have to take a stand against their own governments because it was in violation to their conscience and to what God was calling them to do. Acts. Let me start in Acts 4. Verse 19, Acts four nineteen says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. He's even to them saying, listen, don't you think that we need to listen to God first and foremost? And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, right? Apostles being on trial, right? Um, and they're told, do not teach in this name, but... It says in Acts five twenty nine, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So the apostles here are saying, listen, even though Paul writes, obey your governments, there's times clearly where they have to say no. This is going against what we see the word of God showing us to do. So that question then becomes, if everybody is believers, most likely my assumption would be that there would be something that they would disobey the government over, well, what, where does that line get drawn for them? And that's the issue then that comes up in a lot of these discussions and debates because my heart is not to be a, a, a divisive church, but I believe that a, every person has to follow that conviction of conscience. Now, for some, that's going to be very different. For some, it's going to be, well, I would draw the line on not obeying the government if they told me that I couldn't. You know, live my life for Jesus or, you know, worship Jesus. Now for some, they think worshiping uh, this way or that way is fine, but if they tell me I can't do that, that's when I draw the line. Now for other Christians, they're going to say, well, the line for me is when they say that we can't assemble as a church. That's, that's going beyond the line for me and, and going against my own conscience of what I believe the Word of God instructs me to do as a believer. So that line is gonna be very different for some, and that's where uh, my heart is simply to say, be led of the Lord, and let's be gracious with one another. Because I don't want this to become something that, as churches, we say, no, it has to be this way, and if you don't do it this way, well, then you're off, you're wrong. Now, there's clearly gonna be things that we have to say, no, you're in violation of God's word, you need to uphold this, but here's the deal with the church is that we, we do have different interpretations of scripture, we have different ways that we look at scripture and go, well, this is what I believe it means and this is what I believe this you know, is instructing me to do. And that can vary at times, all right? The, the big thing is that we need to be gracious with one another. I'm not, I'm not saying every church out there, you need to be open. I would, I would love to see that happen, right? Uh, I think that'd be a, a great thing, but I'm not saying, I'm not judging them for not being open. And there's a lot of churches that are doing great things for the Lord, and, 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 I, and I pray for them. I, I just pray and trust that they have the same view towards us for being open. And they say, hey, good on you. We're praying for you. We're not doing that, but we're behind you. I would just love to see us operating in, in unity in these things, even though we might do things differently. And that's okay, because God's work gets carried out in all of that. And so that's kind of my heart in all of this. And I know we've got people that are, are watching at home. Hello, everybody online. And we're grateful that we have an online presence. And there are those that feel, no, it's, it's, I'm just not ready to be meeting in person with these orders that are in place. And to that I say, great, watch online. That's why we have it. And, and we pray for you. We miss you, but we look forward to the day we can be together. And so that's kind of the heart and the approach that we've taken this. Our leadership team has obviously prayed about these things. We've talked a lot about it in our heart has been simply to keep our doors open. Now, again, our our goal in this, and I want this to be very clear, our goal in all this is not to make some political stand or to make this a fight for our rights, and we've gotta, gotta, no, our goal in this is simply to say, no, we, we just wanna worship our Lord and we wanna follow in what he's calling us to do and we want this to be about Jesus. So our heart in this is to simply make the main thing, the main thing here. And that is to just keep it about Jesus. And that's it. And I pray that that is your heart for being here. And, uh, and it's just simply to worship Jesus together. There's a blessing that comes with that. Now, some might say, and don't worry, these guys are going to be getting a chance to speak, but these are some things that we want to really unpack and uncover that I think is important to do so in this time. But some might, you know, hear all that and go, okay, I hear you. Pastor Brent, but these are extraordinary times that we're in. We're dealing with a crisis, a health emergency. And and therein kind of lies the the secondary problem here, because if it could really be determined clearly that this is an emergency, then I'd be happy to suspend worship services so as to not pose a risk to anybody's safety, and health. And there has been times throughout history where the church has had to suspend worship services because of a number of different things, whether it be a war that's going on or natural disasters that they need to take care of, of things. And so there's been times for that to happen. It's my personal conviction that when I look at the data and I look at the stats, that we are not in that, in that health emergency place. When you look at um, you know, um, just the different facts about even the, the, the survival rate that we see from this virus. And, and trust me, I know there's a lot of people that quickly jump on things and go, oh, you don't even believe the virus. I, I'm not saying that COVID isn't real. I believe that it is real and that it has hurt and affected people and it has killed people and I'm saddened for that. And, and any death is, is, is one death, death too many. But the reality is, is that We're not eternal uh, in this physical body, all right? We're going to die. And there's gonna be a number of things that are going to take us out. Now, I'm not trying to minimize things or, or downplay it, it's real, I want us to be doing our part to be safe around others, no doubt about that. But the death rate, when you look at the death rate, over the years, we have not seen the death rate change a whole lot in 2020. And you'd think if COVID was a new thing and supplying a new issue of mortality, then you'd see the the death rate climb. We haven't seen that happen. So I think the stuff that we've been told um, is not completely the real um, picture here. And that's where I go, uh, and then you look at the inconsistencies of what's happened um, with what's allowed to be open and how things are able to operate, and yet they go, no, churches have to be closed down. Um, you know, the inconsistencies that we see where we see, you know, government officials saying, stay home, be safe, and I'm going to check on you when I get back from my trip from Hawaii, right? You kind of go, what's going on with that, right? Uh, it just doesn't seem that they even believe what they're saying half the time. So um, these are things that where we've decided as a, as a church and as a leadership team that we feel compelled to be open and uh and we're going to stay open. And we want to just do that as a way to minister to one another. We believe that it's in these times where uh, what we're dealing with and the, the panic and the fear, the worry, um, the discouragement and depression that's set into many people. This is the time the church needs to be open and to minister to these people. All the more the church needs to be open. And, and I love what we read in, in Hebrews 10, verse 24, 25. We've we've read this a lot uh, at times, but let me read it again. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, I think we are seeing the days that we're living in as the Lord's coming soon. I'm looking forward to that. And so... All the more, we need to be together to encourage one another, but to minister. And my, my goal is that we do have an impact in the, in the world around us. This is not a social club, I never want to be that. This is not just for us to come together and feel good about, you know, uh, stand up for Jesus. It's, it's so we can minister to people. And, and as we meet, I pray that we're encouraged and strengthened but so we can go out into our daily lives and be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take light into a very dark world to bring hope to a very discouraged world. That's the, the desire here, and that's why we wanna do what we're doing here. Now, taking a stand for the Lord is not always a, a popular thing. And, and there might be those that go, well, if this is so right, how come more churches aren't doing it? And again, I can't answer for that, uh, for other people. I, I think that there are certainly more churches opening um, and will open, and there's more that are open that we don't even realize. Sadly, in our media, we see just a few churches, a handful of churches that keep getting pumped in the media, and it kind of feels like there's only you know, three, four, five of us that are open and the rest are closed. That's not the reality. There are a lot more that are open, and we've seen just an abundance of support through email and phone calls from churches and pastors. That are thankful that we're open And are encouraging us and, and whether they're open or not Some of them can't be open for different reasons But those people that are calling Saying, man, they're either open Or they want to be open And they're thankful that we are And so, um, here's the reality Is that all through scripture It's those that are Serving the Lord and taking a stand for the Lord That are often doing so in the minority Right? And there's always that remnant that the Lord has And so, it's not that if this was right, more people would do it. That's not what we see consistently through scripture. It's, it's those that are being faithful for the Lord oftentimes run very contrary to what the world is desiring and wanting. And so don't let that be the measure of what you see as the right thing to do or, the, or the, not the right thing to do. It's doing what you feel called to do according to what the word of God says and how the Lord is leading you. And let's be gracious and loving to one another and and let's um, carry that out here in our midst. Um, what do you guys want to add to that? Yeah. All right. I, I agree. I think we need a mic on maybe. Uh, let's see here.
1: Yeah, okay. There you go. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah. Uh, great word, Pastor. Uh, I also want to say I'm thankful for the online And I'm thankful that we're able to stream and for people to be able to watch if that's where they feel comfortable and convicted, and that's awesome. Um, Although I I do also see a time when that's not gonna be a a thing that we can have. As you saw this week, how quickly voices can be silenced and shut down and they can close platforms down and then where do we sit? And so that's a choice, I guess, that will have to be made for people at that time. Uh, and if you look at other countries that have underground churches that are defying the laws, uh, you look at you know the countries like Iran and China that with these underground churches and the Christianity is growing underground. Yeah. And uh, they are meeting, um, maybe in smaller groups, but they are meeting and God's word is still going out and people are still getting together. And uh, it's all to glorify his name. Yeah. And uh, I was just talking after the first service and someone brought up a really good point. And you know, the Bible talks about laying on of hands, of the elders laying on hands, healing. A little hard to do on your TV screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, and that's true. And, and an anointing with oil. And, you know, look at even baptisms. You you really need to come together for the fellowship. And that's, for some, that's the conviction mm-hmm. and that's what they want. And others, if you can do it online, great. I pray that that still stays open yep. for as long as we can. That's right. And, and hopefully come back to yeah. you know, some type We're of normal. We're praying for time, that, but, yeah. Yeah.
0: And let's, and let's continue to pray for our, our government because I have no animosity towards them. This is not anything that we're doing to, you know, fight back against them. Um, they're doing what they feel is, is right and necessary. And so we want to pray for them and pray for the Lord to lead them uh, and just continue to have a heart of, of love and grace towards them. And so just keep them in your prayers and just... Pray for the Lord's uh, will just to be done through them and uh, just for God's purposes to prevail in all this. All right. Good, Randy, anything to add to that?
2: Well, the only thing I'd share is that um, you are permitted by our government to meet up to 50 people in a support group. And my argument is that uh, Christianity, going through God's word and being together is an incredible support group. And yet it's being defined as something different. Yeah. So
0: about it. how many people are being supported here today? Yeah, I sure am. <laughs> I need this. I love this. And, and this is a huge support and strength for me in these days we live. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Next question here. Um, we're going to get into vaccinations. Is vaccinations the mark of the beast? Is it? Unethical, And these are a number of questions that came in on this topic. Is it unethical or sinful to receive a vaccination if it contains cells from a previously aborted fetus? Um, and then, can you speak? And, and I'm going to hand this over to um, Nick here with Build Israel. And some people had asked about speaking into the videos that were published by Amir Sarfati with Build Israel regarding vaccinations. And a couple of videos he came out with that seemed to kind of, you know... Um, I don't know if they contradicted one another, but one video was kind of against vaccinations, another one that seemed to be more in support of it. So maybe you can talk about some of these issues here for that.
1: Great, yep, I get to talk about vaccines and make a whole lot of friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we, listen, we all realize vaccines are really contentious issue to begin with, and then you throw COVID-19 on top of it and it becomes even more contentious. So uh, I want to start off, first of all, Behold, Israel ministry. Um, it it's it looks at Israel in light of prophecy, where it stands in the world today, and how everything kind of is revolving around them. And we're seeing more of a spotlight being directed them. And so, uh, we've seen all the internet videos, most of us anyway. And um, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation that you got to kind of wade through it, and it's difficult for some, especially if you're you're not scientific or you know you've not been trained that way, and that's that's fine, but you know, um, so Amir took a an opportunity to interview two uh, Christian Israelis, so Messianic Jews, in their respective fields. One was a virologist from the Weissman Institute of Science, and he works with vaccinations, the research and development, and uh, and with viruses. And the other one's a manager of a senior care facility, and the reason being that the elderly are the most at risk with this virus, and just like any other uh, type of influenza, flu virus, that's really uh, SARS impacts them the most. And so we've also been getting a lot of phone calls and emails and very distraught people that are very worried that taking this vaccination is going to they're going to lose their salvation or they're taking the mark of the beast. And we even had um, a young adult on one of our Behold Israel young adult group. email us, and we've we've spoken back and forth with, with her, and she's a nurse, Christian nurse, and she's being told by her Christian friends, you're gonna lose your salvation if you take this. And this is really sad to hear, and she's scared. She says, I am so scared, I don't know what to do. And so we, we, we spoke to her, and we said um, that this is, first of all, this isn't the mark of the beast. We wanna make that emphatically clear that this is, it's theologically impossible for this vaccine to be considered the mark of the beast. And all you have to do is just do a, a reading of Revelation, but look at Revelation 13 in particular, and you'll see you know there's going to be a, the first beast, the Antichrist, and the things he does, and then you're going to see a second beast called the false prophet, and he's going he's to rain down fire from heaven. He's going to point to this guy, and he's going to say, this is the guy you got to worship, and you've got to take this mark, and either on the right hand or in the forehead okay, in the right hand, some people say that could be the right arm. And I'm like, yep, could be. But the vaccination is given in the either arm, uh, and you have a choice what arm you want to take it in. And uh, you can't take a vaccine in the forehead. At least as far as I know, no vaccine's been taken in the forehead. So this is not the mark of the beast. Let's make that abundantly clear. And, and can I just add something yeah. to that there too? I just want people to be
0: clear too. What we see in Revelation with the mark of the beast, is that the mark of the beast, I believe, is something that's linked to your allegiance and even worship of the Antichrist. And so right now, if somebody's given a vaccination, if, if, if they're saying, so now by taking this vaccination, you are denouncing God and giving your worship to, you know, Justin Trudeau. Then I'm going to say, oh boy, we've got a problem here, you know, this, this is starting to look a little bit more like the one. But that's the mark of the beast is it's linked to this worship of the Antichrist, I believe. So what we're seeing right now is not that in an even you know other side to it so yeah yeah.
1: it is a the mark of the beast it will be a willful understanding of what you're doing and you'll know precisely who you're going to be worshiping it'll be a person it'll be this person and we haven't seen this fire from heaven from this individual so this this doesn't exist yet okay now is this a precursor to that sort of thing Yeah, we're seeing this all line up Um, and we understand there's a worldwide push for a vaccine and that it's being politicized and that it's being used for an agenda, of, and globalism, the reset, whatever it is, there is a push for that. But it's not something that, as an individual, um, this isn't something you're losing your salvation over, and this isn't something that is considered the mark of the beast, and we, we, we have to make, some. for some people it's a very difficult decision. You're gonna have to make a decision, is this a, a personal conviction of the Holy Spirit? It's like, you know what, I can't take this, and that's fine. And as a as a Christian, Fellow believer, I I still love you in the Lord, and if I, if someone says I'm taking it, and that's fine too, and we shouldn't divide over this. This is this is something that is it's not an essential doctrine that you can say this. Now this is heresy. This is clearly a a personal choice and a conviction, just like the conviction of coming to church right now. It's a conviction for you as if you want to take this vaccine. Now some people. Yeah, their occupation uh, relies on it. And there's going to be people that are, um, you know, doctors, nurses, first responders, um, teachers, the military, people who travel for their jobs. I mean, we're seeing the push from the airlines. They're saying you're going to have to have this vaccine. Um, And uh, there is a a push and an agenda. and It's being politicized. Okay. Uh, But even now we're seeing, okay, you might have to have a passport. That's the talk. We're gonna to have to have a passport with showing your you know, visa or your um, documents showing that you've had this vaccination. And as we stated earlier, Pastor Randy, you've had to show this in the past. This is not something new. What's new is that it's gonna be globalized, but uh, Pastor Randy, you said you went to, was it, what was the country again? Dominican
2: Republic. And I had you, to get vaccinated. Debbie and I had to get vaccinated to go there.
1: Right. And, and I know people who've gone to Africa, and they've had to show these travel dots. So this isn't something that's oh my goodness, this is really new. It is the the, the new part is everyone's getting on board with it, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're going to need it. Um, now let's let's talk about the, the vaccine itself a little bit, and we the ethical concerns from a from a Christian standpoint, um, because certain vaccines in the past and and they're being used for rubella, measles. Rabies, hepatitis, and A and chickenpox. They do, are developed through the use of two aborted fetuses from the 60s. And that is true, that they, they, that they use those cell lines and they produce certain vaccines. They are not injecting the cells into you, they're just injecting the byproducts, okay? Um, let's be clear here abortion is a sin, okay? It is evil, and we frown on it. Uh, But these aborted fetuses were not aborted for any further scientific study or even to create these vaccines. They just happened to use them. They weren't saying, hey, I need an aborted fetus to create these vaccines. And no new abortions have been done since, you know, almost half a century ago that furthers vaccines. Um, But just because someone says yes to a vaccine doesn't mean they approve the abortion, okay? That that, that there's a disconnect there. Yes, it could be seen as a link, but it's not. I'll give you an example. Um, if a, a child needs a, an organ from an organ donor and the doctor is performing the procedure, they do it and then all of a sudden they find out that this organ donor was a murdered victim. Is the doctor complicit or, or in this murder? Of course not. He just facilitated the, the procedure with the with the patient. And the patient, is he, um, guilty of this murder? And the, the answer is clearly not. Um, it, just because something that was evil, that was done with an evil intent, can still be used for good by God. And we see that throughout the scriptures where, I mean, it's, the scriptures are loaded with areas where evil is done and God can turn it into good. And we live in a fallen world. That's the reality. Um, that uh, And science can be used for good, just as it can be used for evil. But um, it's Science should be used to glorify God. And we look at the ethics of things, and we see even in in World War II, with the Nazis and the concentration Mm -hmm. camp and their prisoners of war, and they were using them um, to research and experiment, and some awful, awful uh, procedures were done on them, but we're using the knowledge of that and the things that were learned today, every single one of us. Um, You know, things like particle board, and the research that was done on hypothermia, and dehydration, and, um, as we said in the first, chloroquine for the anti-malarial drug, um, even to the pop Fanta, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, we've all kind of drank this stuff. And uh, does it mean we partook of this evil? And, and the answer is no. Um, like, if we look at what Paul says in the scriptures, and this is, you know, the, even though the scriptures are silent on on the particular topic of vaccines, it does kind of go into an area that is, contentious issue as well and it's uh, got a parallel here and we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul talks about meat sacrificed to idols mm-hmm. and how it was divisive among the Christians it's some it was a personal conviction where they felt you know I can't do it this I mean this is meat sacrificed to idols and it's a serious offense but yet Paul says if, don't divide over this if you're if you are as a brother or sister in Christ feel like you know what that, I can't do that. My conscience isn't clear. The this Holy Spirit is convicting me. Don't. But if you feel, hey, you know what? I can eat this. I pray to God. It's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not linked to, to what that was sacrificed to. And he says, go ahead, but don't divide over it. So you make your personal choice, and everyone will have to make a personal choice, and the same with the, the vaccines. And if we look at society and everything around us, and all the companies and the organizations and what they own and who they are and what they represent and what they're actually contributing to and supporting and where a lot of their funds go through, literally all the companies from social media, big tech, banking systems, large corporations, where you buy your food, you know your phones, the companies, they all contribute to abortion clinics, um, uh, they support and promote it And so are we saying, if I buy that product, I'm I'm contributing? Well, I guess in a way you could say you could, but that's not really right. And so, um, you know, we hope that pharmaceutical companies will find an alternative for a different type of vaccine that's not using those aborted fetal cells for certain vaccines. And and by the way, I just want to say that the Pfizer, Moderna and many others that are for this uh, COVID-19 vaccine do not use the They're actually a synthetic MRA, mRNA and I'll get into that a little bit later, but um, and I want to, another point I want to make is regarding, you know, certain systems and things that people don't like and we see, um, you know, I know people personally who've said I'm never going to have a visa or an online banking or, or digital currency, you know, I'm only going to use cash. And uh, I mean, in the last year, we see what's happened here. Uh, and I was in line a few months back during this COVID and I was at a pharmacy, a local pharmacy, and there was quite a lineup in there, and I thought, oh, there's one till, and it, it was pretty slow, but then as I started approaching the front of the line, I started hearing some yelling, and it was actually an argument, and I thought, what's going on? And, uh, and then when I got to the front, I realized there's a, there was a statement. It said their machine was down, their Moneris machine was down. They were only taking cash only. Well, mm-hmm. nobody had cash, and they were furious, because the they'd yeah. gotten a product, they were all scanned through, and then it's like, yeah, I don't yeah. have cash. So Lucky I did. I had a 20 on me, and I was able to pay for my product. But, I mean, uh, this, yes, visas and stuff, uh, uh, there's a number. They're linked to you, and and the big picture is it is going towards a global thing. But you have to kind of take your way. If you want to really remove yourself from anything, you'd be living naked in a cave because you would have nothing. I remember Uh, when the, the
0: debit cards first came out and how there were some reactions like, this is the mark of the beast. I'm not touching one of these things at all. And, you yeah. know, obviously as time goes on, it's like, okay, well, all right, we can go yeah. along with that. But we can see these are all certainly things that are, are links in the chain that, you know, move towards
1: yeah. all these things. Yeah, and just to add to the, to the credit card where I'm not taking that, I remember my mom, we bought a camera back in the 70s and the, and the serial number on it ended in 666 and <laughs> she wouldn't buy it. She did yeah. not buy it. No. We wanted oh, yeah. another one. And so... Um, that's anyway yeah Uh, so uh, just as a side note as well Israel by the way um, they're pushing to have everyone vaccinated they've already got over a million people vaccinated they're gonna have everyone vaccinated in the country by the end of March so you know there's a lot there are Christians there too and Mm -hmm. are we saying that they've lost their salvation no of course not and uh, so regarding the mRNA how it works mRNA uh, vaccines uh, they 're fairly new to the vaccine market they're used quite a bit though in cancer and treatments they've been around since the nineties um, so this isn't a new thing it's just new because they can develop them faster than the traditional so a traditional vaccine i'm just going to give you a, just kind of a just a quick overview of how they work i don't want to this' is not really the form for vaccines but um, so traditionally they either inject you with a an inactivated virus or an attenuated virus. So inactivated meaning dead virus, or attenuated, a weakened one. Your body sees that as a foreign invader. It would produce white blood cells, antibodies, and then that takes, you know, seven to 10 days. And then you, next time you encounter the real virus, you'll have this, these, what's called memory cells, and they will uh, jump on this uh, foreign matter in your body. And, and you won't even know, most of the time, you don't even know you had the, the virus come. Uh, Some people might have, you know, feel slightly ill, but uh, it's not the the full-blown flu. So, um, the body produces an immune response to this. So the mRNA, instead of injecting the uh, inactive or dead viruses, they they produce a code which, by the way, can't change your DNA, and it doesn't even go into the nucleus. It uses the cell's uh, current machinery to produce these proteins, these, these antigens which the body will then uh, do the same thing after and go after it. And um, they can you know, produce them much cheaper and faster for larger quantities, which is you know, what we're seeing the world is going to need these vaccines. So, um, and I think I've covered about That's everything. The, the main takeaway from this, please, is this doesn't change your um, relationship with God. This isn't a salvation issue, Mm -hmm. definitely not the mark of the beast. Love one another in Christ, serve one another, continue. Don't judge them on, well, they've taken a vaccine, I I feel differently about them. So am I going to be running out to get it? No. But if I have to travel and I'm going to need it, then yeah, I'm in a position where that's part of my job. And there's going to be a lot of people that will have to make that decision. And it's a personal decision, personal conviction. Don't divide over this. The enemy can make you divide over a whole lot of things and this and, isn't something.
0: So. And that's, thank you, Nick. Thank you for that. And that is really the key is that, again, just like we talked about with the first, you know, topic is like, let's not let these things be a, a divisive issue among Christians and, and in the church. Uh, people can have different views on that. and And let's just walk in grace with one another. I mean, that's kind of really been more and more just coming to the forefront here. What I want to see... Happening, you know, in this church and just in the church at large, um, you know, and and do your own research and look into these things and do what you feel is 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 right and the, and the best thing for you. But uh, again, as believers, our our mission is not to get out there and educate everybody about vaccines. Our mission is to present the hope of Jesus Christ to uh, a lost world. That's really our focus and let. Let that remain our focus in all that we do, right? So, anything to quickly add to that? You're all good, okay. I'm, you know, and for me, I mean, I'm not an an anti-vaxxer, I'm a very cautious vaxxer. I'm not gonna be first in line, you know, uh, to these things, and I'm gonna see kinda how these things roll out, play out, the the effect of them. I just wanna be be cautious, but I'm certainly, for, for those that need to get a vaccine for whatever reason, I'm not going to think any, any differently uh, towards them. Okay, we've got to move on now. Now, one thing that kind of um, was linked to that was, you know, can a person lose their salvation over this? So that brought up another question that we were presented. Um, is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? And then somebody else asked, does Revelation 22, 19 mean that after a person's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it can at some time in the, in the future be erased? In other words, can a Christian lose his salvation? Um, Randy, do you want to jump into this one? Uh, sure. Um, short
2: answer is no. If a person has fully put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the word tells us they have become what? We've become a new, a new creation. We've also been justified. This means that God declares us as righteous. If we can lose our salvation then God would be needing to go back on his word and on his work. And I just can't see that ever happening. There's a couple of common objections to the fact that you perhaps can lose your salvation. One is that uh, what about Christians who live a really sinful life? They just, they live an unrepentant lifestyle. They claim to be Christians, but they just, the fruit just doesn't show it. Or what about Christians who reject the faith and deny Christ? The problem with these objections is the assumption that everyone who calls himself a Christian has actually been born again. I mean, there's a lot of that going on in our world right now. People are put to use that term Christian, but they've never really gotten to the point where they have given and turned their life over, repented of their sin, given their lives to Christ, and become a new creation the Bible declares that a true Christian will not live a state of continual unrepentant sin. That's in 1 John 3.6. The Bible also says that anyone who departs the faith is demonstrating that he was never truly a Christian. That's 1 John 2.19. There's the uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit right up to the point of death. If you are still blaspheming the Holy Spirit when you die, then that's an unforgivable sin and you are not saved. Um... But can you lose your salvation? It would seem that it's not possible. Scripture tells us you cannot lose your salvation. There are people who say that you could perhaps walk away from your salvation and your trust in Christ, and that one I'd have to put a lot more thought into. But uh, I see from Scripture that once you are saved, once he has made you a new creation, you are saved, and nothing's going to change that. Not even putting a vaccine in your body mm-hmm. is gonna change that.
0: And and yeah, thanks, Randy. And I think a lot of people, you know, struggle over this thinking about this, and, and the way that they um word this is kind of I would think the idea is that I could do something where all of a sudden I've forfeited my salvation. I've I've stepped over the line, right? And I and I kinda liken it to this. It's like, you know, if if you were to, you know. Lose your phone, right? You can't find your phone. Well, you're typically you're going to be like freaking out. Where's my phone? I need to find my phone, right? Anybody lost their phone before? And you're kind of like yes. you're turning everything over. Like you want your phone, right? Well, the very fact that you're wanting your phone reveals something that this is important to you. And those that worry over have I lost my salvation? If you're worried about that, it it indicates something that that salvation is there because you want this now. If I like, if I take my phone and I'm like, you know what, this phone is giving me nothing but problems. I can't. I'm gonna toss this into a lake, and I throw away my phone. Well, I no longer want that thing. Now it could be like Randy said that there are cases where people have walked away from. They said, you know what, I no longer want this. I'm dismissing that. Now the question does become. Have have they truly been saved? Have they truly been born again, regenerated in their heart? Well, that becomes the debate then. And we can't answer that ultimately. Only the Lord knows the heart. But I do believe, like Randy says, if you're worried that you've lost your salvation because you've stepped over the line, you've done something wrong, that's not the case. There's only one sin that Randy brought up that's unforgivable. Matthew 12, 31, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And what that simply means is that the blasphemy of the Spirit, I believe, is simply just the rejection of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sending the world to draw people, convict the world of sin, and draw people to Jesus, right? And so a person that blasphemes is, is pushing that away, wants nothing to do with it. So that's the only sin that can not be forgiven, simply because you've never allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you to turn you to Christ. You want nothing to do with it. That means there's no salvation there to begin with. That's why it's unforgivable because when you... But God always gives you opportunity to repent and to be saved until you breathe that last breath. There's always opportunity. There's nothing that you can do in this life right now, even if you've at one point pushed the Holy Spirit away. As long as you have breath, you still have opportunity to receive that, to repent, and to give your life to Jesus and receive salvation. And I think that's an important thing just to reveal to people like that are watching maybe online or um, you know, and maybe you're sitting there in, in a state of hopelessness right now. I want to tell you that there is hope and it's found in Jesus Christ who came in this world to die on a cross for your sins, to forgive you and to give you life and to make you right with God. And if you haven't done that, receive that yet, I want you to know that there's hope in that, that there's salvation and eternal life, that you can know when you die, you're going to be with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. There's nothing better, and it's a free gift that Jesus has given to you. It's simply through you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, admitting your sin, and turning to him. I hope you've done that here. We've got a couple more questions that we need to quickly Quickly, try to rattle off here to to squeeze in. I know we're already over time, but move on. Do you have a five-second response to that uh, one? Yeah, the one
1: about Revelation twenty-two nineteen. So, if we read Revelation three five, it says, "And I will never blot his name out of the book of life." And blotting implies that there was a name in there. So, how does that come about? And so, in a lot of ancient cities back then, they, when a child was born they would be put in the records as a, a register, like as a citizen, okay, in the registries. If, uh, as you grow older, uh, if you became a criminal, um, they would remove your name. You're no longer a citizen in that city. And so the, the analogy here is with Jesus Christ. As a believer, we are. We are. When we are born, we believe that if a child dies at, at a young age, that they are with the Lord. Their name is written in the book of life. Mm-hmm. It's later on in life when you reject Christ, and I'm not willing to accept Christ, then your name is removed and blotted. And so there's the yeah the parallel. Sounds great. Okay,
0: we're gonna hit a couple more questions just to squeeze it in here, um, and and we're gonna do this with a. A 30-second response to each, okay? Sorry, if this is your question, you want a bigger answer, but we're gonna to try to make it clear uh, uh, for you, this question, because nothing is more powerful than God. Why do his angels have to wrestle with demons in spiritual warfare, and our answers to prayers are sometimes delayed because of this? Great question. Who wants to take it? Uh,
1: Nick does. Okay, Nick does. <laughs> uh it is interesting. I, we believe that God answers prayer right away. If we look in in Daniel and we see the, the it took 21 days for this angel to arrive with the answer, but the, yeah. but the dispatch, the answer from God was immediate. It was before he even finished yeah. the prayer. Um, so does, God can choose when to answer, but He does answer. It's just when we receive. And, and prayer is to change us. Okay. Um, I do want to recommend there's a really good book on this this invisible war. It's called The Invisible War. It's written by an individual called Dr. Donald Barnhouse. I think it was written back in the 60s. Really good book on this subject. There is a war waging on around us. If you had the eyes to see it, you'd probably be freaking out. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: And and God can certainly override that. What we see in Daniel ten is interesting, but God is certainly able to override that, but he allows that to happen and oftentimes he allows that to do a work in us. And so I believe he's he's giving Daniel an opportunity to learn, you know, just trust dependence on the Lord. As like you say, uh, that's the key is in prayer. Our our prayers aren't hindered because we're not praying the right way. Uh, or not I shouldn't say they're hindered because um God does answer prayer and he does so immediately, but it's the timing that we sometimes wonder, am I doing something wrong? No, it's just that God's doing a work in us and we need to trust him in that process and keep believing in him. Okay, um, next question here. How far, uh, how far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Did Jerusalem have a city wall at that time? How far is Egypt from Bethlehem and about how long did Jesus live there with his parents? I'm gonna answer these real boom, just bullet point. Uh, So, first in Bethlehem from Jerusalem, about six miles. Um, Jerusalem, did Jerusalem have a city wall at that time? Yes. Uh, It did. How far is Egypt from Bethlehem? Uh, We believe Bethlehem to Egypt is about anywhere from 75 to about 90 miles to the outskirts. We don't know exactly where Jesus was in Egypt. He could have gone further, which could have been up to, you know, 400 miles in, but we don't know. But if he just went to the outskirts of Egypt, about 75 to 90, 90 miles. And then... Uh, we don't know exactly how long Jesus was there in Egypt. We know that Herod died in, in 4 BC and, and was allowed allowance for him to come back. So uh, again, just trying to figure out the, the timing, it's a little bit difficult. Um, some have suggested he was there just a few months. Some have suggested it, it could have been up to you know, a year or two. Um, we're not sure exactly, but he was there in Egypt until it was safe to come back. Um, all right, moving on to the next one here. How does Psalm 67 fit into end times. Anybody want to jump on that one?
1: Randy, you go ahead. We talked about this this morning, and then I'll put in whatever you don't say. And you got 30 seconds.
0: Thanks, Nick.
2: You guys took like two minutes on the last one.
0: No. Uh,
2: This is, I don't know if you guys, should I read it? So people know what it is?
0: Yeah, if you got it there, read it. It
2: says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the apostles praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us, God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The only I don't know that I would... Um, where I could see this being um, shared, um, people um, going through this prayer, is in the millennial kingdom. I think this would be a great place. I think we would see this. It's this just really what it's talking about is is this millennial kingdom where things are going to be so incredible and Jesus will be ruling and reigning upon the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where I... Looking would, forward to that day. Put that. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's where I saw it too. There is a... Uh, a past application as well, where it says the nations will be blessed through Israel, yeah. and that is through Jesus Christ. The nations have been blessed, and that's uh, the the other application. But I do believe that it is a millennial
0: and yeah, and how Israel was to be that witness to the world, and that's going to be going to happen again in the millennial reign, yeah. which is going to be exciting. So, here's the next question that we've got. Um, it is. Um, how God dealt with people differently during different dispensations regarding salvation For instance, between the fall and the flood And so, um, that's an interesting question to, to look at Regarding, um, you know, the different dispensations of time And we see that throughout the Old Testament Certainly, you know, before Jesus came on the scene How were people, how did that work? Well, you know, the means of salvation was always by faith in God's work And God had set up and established sacrifices to happen uh, where there was to be a blood atonement. You know, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins we see in, in God's word. God's established that right from the beginning. But all those sacrifices, again, were simply to point to the final and finished work that Jesus, our final sacrifice, would be. And so people, uh, in order for people in the Old Testament to be saved, um, they needed to, first of all, have that faith in God, right? Just like Abraham, who um, you know, it, who believed in God it was accredited like, him as righteousness. And so it always had to be by God's means. And those means didn't necessarily change. They became more kind of realized and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? And so that's kind of the the key there. Anything you have like, uh, 30 seconds to add to that, if you guys would Yeah, like.
1: the remission of sins was still needed back then, just as it is now. It was a sacrifice covenant, blood covenant back then. It's still a sacrificial blood covenant, but it's just fully realized in the finished work of Jesus yeah. Christ once for all. Yeah, finished. and all through the Old yeah.
0: Testament, though the law was given, all these things, those things didn't save it, save people. It simply showed that they could not be saved by their own works and righteousness, and they needed some not something, they need someone greater who was Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice, our life, our means of salvation. So all the Old Testament was simply pointing ahead to that finished work, and even people that died, they died looking ahead, waiting that promise, and then when Jesus came, many believe that, you know, after he died on the cross, that, as Peter says, he went preach to the spirits in prison, many believe he was preaching their deliverance, the, the promise is realized, it's, it's in me, and that's kind of the idea. Um, Okay, next, we got a couple more I want to get to in this service. And uh, the next one here. What prophecies still have to happen before the rapture? Randy, why don't you jump into that one here?
2: Well, the list is long. Um, we believe that the rapture uh, is an imminent event, which just means it can happen and always has been this way. It can happen at any moment. I'm right now praying that he, it happens right now.
0: Um, so, so, just to clarify, the list isn't long. No, you said the so list I, is long. I was kidding. I know. I, well, people are going to, this is all getting recorded, and I you've already seen imminent. how much people want to jump on these recordings and use them. And they're yeah, getting set against Yeah, They're see. ready to write. Oh, you're Let's, right. be here, you're man. Right. Let's be careful right here, man. Let's be careful. Let's clarify take, yes. the list is not long. There's no, nothing there's that nothing needs nothing to, that happen to happen before the rapture. Go, right. Go on
2: can happen at any time. And the rapture is when Jesus calls his bride home. Who's his bride? Those who believe in him as their Lord and Savior. Um, it comes from the word harpazo in the Greek. Uh, the Latin translation is raptus, where we get our word rapture from. Um, and it's just, it's a, basically, if you don't have a pre-tribulation rapture, Understanding, then you could have things that might have to happen if you were, say, a mid trib or you're a post trib. There's a lot of things that would have to happen. But because we are pre tribulation rapture, we believe we're out of here before the tribulation period starts. And there's literally nothing that has to be fulfilled before that can happen. So at any moment, at any time, that's why the Lord says, keep looking up. He doesn't say, hey, watch for this to happen and then look up. He just says, when you see all these things starting to happen, look up, because I'm going to come at any time. and um, So we're ready. And no, nothing has to be fulfilled. We could be raptured before we leave here today.
0: And, and we're going to get into some of those um, prophecies that we believe are going to need to happen before the second coming of Christ. And that's what some people get mixed up in. They, they kind of link these two events together, the rapture the second coming of Christ. They're two separate events. The rapture is catching the bride up, uh, the church to meet the Lord in the air where we're with him in heaven during the tribulation period. And then there's the second coming of Christ that happens after the tribulation, where he comes physically with us at his side, Revelation 19 tells us, and he sets up his kingdom reign on on earth. And we're gonna get into some of those things in another service. But that tribulation period, understand, is again where where the Lord, God, begins to focus his attention on Israel again, which is a fulfillment of that final week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9. That's important because that whole prophetic timetable really oftentimes revolves around Israel. They've been put aside right now for a time, blinded, while the church age is being enacted. And when the church is taken up, then God is going to deal with Israel specifically again during that tribulation period. So we'll get into some of those things more as we move along here. Ten seconds.
1: Yeah, some people have said to me, you know, well, the, the, Jesus can't come because the gospel has to be preached throughout the world yeah. before he comes again, and and they and they refer to Matthew 24:14, and this is true for the second coming. Yep, this is true for the, the gospel will be preached throughout the world. There'll be three angels flying around. Preaching it, there'll be the two witnesses and the hundred and forty-four thousand. So that is true, but it's for the second coming. That, that
0: tribulation end. period is going to be a time of huge evangelism. That's the amazing thing: is seven years where God is kind of pouring out His His judgment wrath, but yet He's giving so many people an opportunity to turn to Him and to think about that angels. Flying, read through Revelation. Angels flying in the heavens and shouting out, you know, the praise of God. Attention to God. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So everybody is gonna gonna hear for sure. Uh, last question: We're gonna get into in this service um, in God's word. Um, in God's word, were there men who had walked away from God or who were sinners that did not know Him that God used to do good for His work or for the good of Israel? And if so, who were some of them?
1: All right. Who wants to, who wants to jump in this one? Go for I, it. I've got um, Cyrus yeah. uh, in uh, the book of Ezra and in Second Chronicles where he allows the Jews to go back, the Israelites to go back and rebuild the temple. This is from a, a pagan mm-hmm. um, worshiping um, Gentile, really. Exactly. Um, heathen. Yeah. And he allows the Jews to, and he says, yeah, go worship your God, go finish building your temple. And... We have Rahab, yeah. who hid the spies, he there. Yeah. and uh, her and her whole household got saved. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, Darius, sorry, Darius, um, yeah. making Daniel the third yeah. highest ruler in the land, and then uh, Potiphar mm-hmm. uh, with Joseph, making him the second highest uh, yep. in command. Yep. Yeah, That's right. there's a few, a few others. Balaam. There, yeah. We
0: talked about Numbers 22 with you know just wanting to you know, kind of curse Israel, you know, and God didn't allow him, had him, you know, give great prophecies uh, from the Lord, and so, um, yeah, those are just a few, you know, but, but that's the great thing, is that uh, God carries out his work and his plans, um, you know, and, and he can use anybody to do that, that's the amazing thing, and so just when you think, I mean, you've got no hope, at least, you know, with people around you in the world, know that there's always hope in God, because, God doesn't need a person to say, okay, God, yeah, I'll, I will do that work for you. God can do that and accomplish his purposes through anybody and everybody. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Any last comments there, Pastor Randy? I was
2: wondering, uh, Egypt, Egypt's uh, Pharaoh's daughter pulling Moses yeah. out of the water. That's a good one, one
0: too, just, yeah.
1: definitely. it's good. I guess and there's then, lots if
2: you really started to. Mm-hmm. And, and
1: I mean, in the list of evil rulers who never did anything good, but God still used it. For his glory, yeah, and even Pharaoh himself. I mean, he didn't he didn't do anything really good, but God used him yeah. to show his greatness That's and right. his power. So. That's good. Yeah.
0: Okay. So the next question that we're going to cover here is is um, somebody asked about Romans one, eighteen to thirty two, saying. It appears very evident to reflect well upon the days we're living today. Can you please talk about your views of these passages and the culture of today's society? But then my question, what can be expected to follow these judgments found in these verses, and where in Scripture does this take us? That will explain the foretold events found in prophecy. That's a pretty loaded question. Let me just read a bit of Romans 1. It says for, in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in, an unright, in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were dark and professing to be wise. They became fools, um, it goes on to say that God, you know, gave them over to a, uh, you know, debased mind in a sense. And it's so interesting to see as Paul is writing this and thinking about, you know, just the the culture that was very much prevalent in, in Rome at the time was a very ungodly culture. And I think we can draw certainly a lot of parallels that we see in today's world, though though we're a a society and really a country that's been founded upon such godly. Uh, Christian principles how far away we've gone where we've just tried to push God out of everything, no prayer in schools, no we can't have this, can't have that, we just push God out of everything and I think when you look at it you have to realize, I mean has that made anything better? Not at all and, and so uh, you look at what Paul is saying here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all these things um, it, it's that because man has chosen their way and they've and I think that's interesting. They've suppressed the truth. We live in a, in a world where we see so much evidence around us of God. And again, built upon those principles uh, of, of Christian foundation. And yet, we've just dismissed it. We suppressed it. We said, well, here's what we can clearly see is the reality of who God is and what he's done. But we, wanna, we don't want to receive that. We want to suppress it. We want to do our own thing. And, and so, no doubt, we live in a, in a day in a culture where it's... God is going to have to respond. Um, you know, I, lo- I like what Billy Graham, well, I don't know if I like it, but it's, it's true. Is what Billy Graham said is that if God does not punish America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And, and I think what we're seeing around us is that, um, you know, it's not long before things just continue to unravel more and more to where God is going to have to step in and, and intervene, and which we know is coming. We know he's going to do when he, comes again and then again entering the tribulation period and then his second coming, we're, he's got to intervene. Now thankfully, when we read about judgment, here's, here's the hope that I wanna give to anybody that might be listening right now, um, maybe even at a future date, but the reality is, is that God has already executed judgment for sin. And that happened when Jesus went to the cross. Jesus being fully God, yet fully man, able to identify with us and represent us and Jesus going to the cross, he took the judgment and the wrath of God for our sin so that we could be spared from it. Understand today that you don't have to fear the judgment of God if you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, because that judgment has already been executed on Jesus. And when he died on the cross, it's like that legal transaction took place where God could dismiss your sin. And impute to you now Christ's righteousness. And that's the hope that we have as believers now. And I pray that we continue to rejoice in that, live it out, and and just simply, you know, again, receive what God has done for us. It's a free gift for you. Salvation, forgiveness of sin has been given to you by His grace because of what Jesus did. It's free. Receive that today. And I encourage everybody to, to, to experience that life in him here today. And so that's just kind of in a nutshell. I hope we kinda of answered that question. Um but we're gonna move on to look at this next part of the question that this person asked was about the two witnesses in Revelation uh, chapter eleven. Uh who are the two witnesses? What do they represent? Where do they fit within the prophetic future? Who wants to jump into that one? Uh
1: we don't know who the two witnesses are. I mean it's it's been guessed that they could be Moses and Elijah. Those are one of the two names. Yeah. And the and the reasons for it is because uh, we see they were both at the uh, transfiguration with Jesus Christ. Uh, Elijah didn't really die. Yeah. Uh, he was taken up to heaven. Moses died, but they don't know where he's buried. Yeah. No one knew where he was buried. But the another reason is, is what uh, they bring through their witnessing. And they... The judgments and the plagues are very much in line with what they did on Earth when they were living here, and so they—you see—the drought where Elijah can bring drought for and the time frame he brings Mm -hmm. drought for three and a half years. That's what he did in Elijah. It was for the same amount of time, and um, um, they can bring death from uh, by fire uh, from their mouths. Um, And they bring plagues at their command as many plagues as they want and so um, As often as they like so that's why they think it's Moses and Elijah and they represent the law and the prophets but Again, it's just supposition right now the Bible doesn't say in the book of Revelation who these two are but they're definitely very powerful people who will um, be hated I mean despised Mm -hmm. by the world (laughs) to the point where When they are killed and they will leave their bodies laying there for three and a half days and they will be celebrating and exchanging gifts it'll be like christmas for them Mm. yeah um and then they'll rise and the world will see it and there'll be a huge earthquake and i think it's what is it seven thousand seven thousand people die in jerusalem for the earthquake and and everyone's freaked out yep absolutely yeah
0: yeah it can be quite a scene and, and remarkable that through this tribulation period and understand the tribulation period is this judgment of God being poured on the world and yet and yet he's giving so much opportunity for people to get right with him? That's what I love about God. He's a merciful, gracious God. And even in the midst of judgment, he's giving people an opportunity. These two witnesses are, are there for that reason to communicate the the truth and to point people to God. So um, yeah, so they're gonna have quite a, a ministry there. Now Getting into, uh, I'm going to pass this next one on to Randy about um, Riverside's belief or view on the rapture. Where exactly is the rapture within the book of Revelation 11 to 14 and First Thessalonians 413 and 18? Please explain or discuss the bigger meaning and reason for there being a rapture and not being a rapture. Why don't you start us off with that one, Randy?
2: Well, first of all, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So we believe that the Lord will come and take his bride prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. Um, the question that says, where exactly is rapture within the book of Revelation 11 to 14, uh, it's not. We see in Revelation 4, when John is told, come up hither, we believe that is the rapture of the church. And then we get into the tribulation period in the verses or the chapters that follow that.
0: You just got King James on us there. Come Did up I? hither. Oh, I know. I love hither. King James. You like James. that word, hither? Yeah. I That's love it. a good word. Okay. Yes, come up hither. Wow, all right.
2: Sorry about that. <laughs> We should talk about the NLT. It'll have a different We'll get word. into that, yeah. yeah. It's coming. First um, Thessalonians four thirteen to 18, awesome uh, verses that basically tell us what it'll be like and when he's going to call us home. And at the very end of that, uh, verse 18 of first Thessalonians 4, after we're taken up into the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words, which is awesome. Um, and the reason for the rapture is because the Lord is not going to pour out his wrath on his bride. And so he takes his bride home prior to the tribulation period beginning. We will not see uh, any of that time here on this earth.
0: Yeah. And without the rapture, we don't have an imminent return of Christ, which we as a church believe in the imminent return that he can come at any time. There's nothing that needs to happen. In fact, that was an earlier question we had about, uh, is there anything that needs to happen before the rapture? And no. Nothing needs to happen, before no, no prophecy has to be fulfilled before the rapture, it can come at any time. And Jesus said, to be watchful, to be waiting, the, the Son of Man comes an hour you do not know. And so, uh, but as some people confuse the rapture with the second coming as kind of being simultaneous. No, it's two separate events, the rapture, where Christ catches up the bride of Christ, the church, to meet him in the air, where we go to heaven, for that seven year period while tribulation unfolds and then we come back with Christ at his second coming which is at a a separate event when Christ comes back to set up his millennial kingdom, this thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, gonna be glorious, gonna be great. So there's certain things that are gonna happen and have to happen before the second coming of Christ but there's nothing that has to happen before the rapture where we meet Jesus, the imminent return of Christ.
1: Anything to add? Uh, just uh, the, you know, where it happens in the book of Revelation, the, back to that question. And it says, on verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Yeah. And after this, what did he just talk about in the first mm-hmm. two chapters? Two, two chapters, and the, two, tra- and two and three. Yeah. He's talking to the churches. We're currently living in the age of period of grace, the church age. And so he just finished talking to the mm-hmm. churches. Now, what happens after this, the church age? And so, yeah.
0: Revelation has, uh, interesting, that built-in outline, Revelation 119, right? The things which you, um, which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So that's the built-in outline, the things which uh, you've seen. And in, in the whole book of Revelation is the revealing. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 is that revelation of Jesus Christ, the things which you uh, have seen, the things that are. The churches—that's the age that they're living in. Chapters two and three, of the church, the things which will take place after this, after the church. Where's the church? The church is raptured up. So from chapters, you know, uh, six on to chapter nineteen, you don't hear the mention of the church again until it comes back with Christ in chapter nineteen there. And so that's a built-in outline. Revelation also has a built-in blessing where it says in Revelation 1, 3, blessed are those of you that, that hear. Let me just read it to you so I, I, I get it right here. Revelation 1, verse three says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And that idea, uh, you know, the time is near and, and when Jesus says, behold, I come quickly, it's that idea of that word um, is, is tacos in the Greek, not tacos that you eat Right, and it's terrible to bring up tacos right now, as we are past the lunch hour time. It's not a good time to be talking, about, but it's that idea of tachometer, where it's like as you rev up that engine, that tachometer goes up, and that's the idea of like it's going to come quickly as these events begin to unfold. It's going to accelerate all the more, and so what we're seeing in our day is that these things are happening much more rapidly, and things are accelerating. You think about, you know, New Year's Eve on two thousand nineteen. Who would have thought we would have had a year like we did in 2020? Things are accelerating. And that's what Jesus talks about. It, it's, when you think, I come quickly, you go, well, it's been 2,000 years. What do you mean? That? No, when these things begin to happen, it's going to accelerate all the more. And so that's the day that we're living in. It's exciting.
1: Yeah, amen. Yeah. And, and I, I really like that, what you said about, you know, after chapter um, after chapter 4, you don't hear yeah. no more the word the, the churches church, no. talking in churches. In fact, for the... all. The letters written to each of the churches it ends with he who has an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches the next time you hear that phrase it's in chapter 13 verse 9 says if Mm -hmm. anyone has an ear let him hear it doesn't say churches anymore yeah that's great
0: interesting stuff hey here's another good question along kind of similar lines um can you clarify the definition of falling away in second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 some versions, the NIV, uh, and, and New Living, state rebellion. Some believe it means the rapture, others apostasy. Also, the falling away comes first, and that man of sin is revealed. Is all in the same sentence? Is there any significance to having these two ideas linked into one sentence as it relates to the timing of the falling away? In the original Greek, do we gain any more insight into this verse? So that's very interesting. 2 Thessalonians 2, um, verse 3. So that word... Falling away is the Greek word apostasia. And so, of course, many go, well, yeah, it's talking about this great apostasy that's going to happen. And, and I think, you know, again, we live in a day right now where we do see the reality of that, where uh, there's many that have, you know, their, their love of, of God has grown cold, right? And so we do see a, a, a great kind of falling away that way. But what's interesting is that word apostasy can also be translated as departure. In fact, some of the earliest English translations of the Bible, when you look at the um, uh, the Tyndale, the Coverdale, the Geneva Bible, that's how they translate that word falling away. They translate it as departure. And so what's very interesting is many have, have seen this as referencing the rapture. And it's the falling away that causes the man of sin to be revealed. In other words, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not gonna come onto the scene while the church is still present here in the world. Because it goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians um, 2, verse verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, who is he who restrains? We believe, and it's capitalized in the New King James Version, he is capitalized, meaning, I mean, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit active in the world today? Through the church. And so, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is going to be absent during the tribulation, but his presence through the church, that is to be salt and light in the world, is going to be removed. And it's when the church is removed that the Antichrist is going to be Revealed, so I believe this falling away certainly lines up with the rapture, um, and 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 you can make a case for it being being apostasy. Um, make a case for it being the departure of the church rapture, and I think those are certainly things that we're going to see happen before the Antichrist is revealed. What do you guys want to add to that?
1: Uh, just that the the. Day of the Lord. When you see that that term, the coming day of the Lord, is uh, um, now the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our gathering together to Him. We ask you, dear brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit spoken or the letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And the day of the Lord um, can also signify, as many times we see the day the, that glorious day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And when mm-hmm. Jesus comes back the second time. At the yeah. Second Advent, he comes as King of Kings, but he's a, he's a Judge, and he will come to judge this mm-hmm. this world that yeah. rejected him. Yeah. So, if you read it in that context, that this is the Day of the Lord. So these things are going to come. As, as continue reading after, there's going to yeah. be a a either a departure uh, from people taken up or a departure from the faith. Um, you know, uh, from the true true gospel. Um, And then you are going to see the man of lawlessness, all these things are going to happen before that glorious day of the Lord, which is the second coming, not to be confused with the rapture. And
0: some people see in verse 1 where it says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, they see that as two separate events, as coming of the day of the Lord is the second coming, but our gathering together to him is the rapture. And so... You know, some people believe that Paul is mentioning these two specific things here and separately. So we're going to talk about the rapture. We're also going to talk about the day of Lord when Christ comes back and some of the things that are going to be evident during that time. So, yeah. All right. Great. Okay. Randy's hungry. Uh, I'm going to give Randy this next question. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I'm not sure who those who have fallen asleep are. I know that they are believers, but why are they asleep? Are we not with God as soon as we die?
2: Uh, I would say that according to the Apostle Paul, absent from the body is presence with the Lord. And so we do not, our spirits do not go to sleep. We we go and be immediately with the Lord. The moment of death, the next moment after that, we're in the presence of the Lord. But I think what happens is our bodies are left behind. And the bodies, when you look at them when they're dead, they kind of look like they're sleeping. And so I think that um, some people have, have tried to create this whole uh, concept of soul sleep, yeah. that you basically just, when you die, you go to sleep, and then at some point in the future, you'll be woken up, and then you'll be with the Lord. Well, Scripture tells us that's not the way it works. As mm-hmm. Soon as we leave this life, our physical body dies, then we are in the presence of the Lord. And uh, we're going to see bodies resurrected. When are we going to see them resurrected? At the time of the rapture. Yeah. All the... All the basically the New Testament believers, Old Testament people, unfortunately, they get to hang out and that body will sleep a little bit longer. Uh, their bodies will remain in the grave. But uh, all those who died in, this, in the New Testament period are all their bodies are resurrected and their bodies are rejoined with their spirit. That's
0: right.
2: And so we get new resurrected bodies um, at the rapture. Yeah. So that's so why I'm hoping to die at the rapture so that I don't have to, you know, wait. Just be a spirit and then wait for my body to show up. Exactly. Uh, that's why I'm hoping. That's not the only reason I'm hoping We for hope the you rapture. don't die at the
0: rapture. You hope you're alive at the rapture. Well, no.
2: My body will come be resurrected with me. Exactly. If I die right now today and you guys all stay here, this thing gets to stick behind and I got to go with I know. One. But you so.
0: said, that's why I hope I die at the rapture.
2: You hope I die? Oh, that's yes. That's what you said. Sorry. I
0: said, I'm just trying to say, no, you're not going to die at the rapture. Thank you you're for
2: clarifying. No, I don't yeah, want to die like, at the rapture. I want to okay. go up and be in the presence yeah, yeah. of the Lord. Okay. There we go. So, All right, good stuff. Um, soul sleep. Is, That's good.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, next question here. In regards to the rebuilding of the temple, what has to be done before Christ's return? Can you clarify any prophetic fulfillment before Christ's return? Who wants to jump into that one? Uh, oh, Nick's going
1: to? Okay. You can start us off. Okay. Rebuilding of the temple. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about rebuilding the temple right now. It's a... Uh, Pretty contentious if they tried to rebuild the temple on the temple mount and be a pretty big war yeah. so uh it does happen before christ's second coming mm-hmm. at some point um and then i guess clarify any prophetic fulfillment before christ's return there's a lot of things that are going to happen during the tribulation and some of the things i guess you're going to be seeing is, uh well as believers hopefully we'll see them from heaven meaning we're not here yeah. uh temple being rebuilt one world government, one world religion, one world economy, um, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the two witnesses, 144,000 uh, Jews who are marked for uh, preaching the gospel, yeah. angels preaching in, in the heavens, uh, Damascus being destroyed, and that doesn't necessarily have to be during the tribulation, could exactly. be even any time, Exactly. Um, the Ezekiel 38, 39 mm-hmm. war. There's, there's a lot of these things, and these are all precursors to Christ's second coming. Uh, But we're seeing, you know, the move to this one-world government, one-world economy, one-world religion. So when you start to see these things, Jesus says, look up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's
0: the exciting thing is people go, man, will we even have enough time to rebuild the temple? It seems like. But there's so many things that are already in place. There's so much talk about it. I think it's going to – and understand, too, that when the rapture happens – Um, it doesn't mean that the tribulation begins right then. It could be a space of a a period of time before the tribulation begins after the rapture, which I think the rapture is going to cause so much things to speed up and to fall into place. When all of a sudden you have millions of people gone, think about the different safety measures that are going to be implemented in a much more rapid way or, uh, you know, IDing things and and different stuff. It's going to just cause things to exponentially speed up all the more, like that tachometer we talked about, tacos, you know, and and, and it's, things are just going to fall into place that much more quicker after the rapture. But all these things are certainly ready, and uh, it's it's coming soon, I'll tell you that much. It's interesting. Okay, um, next question. I love reading the New Living Translation for its ease of understanding. Is it less accurate than the King James Version? Is it okay if it, I only read the New Living Translation Translation version, or will I run into some errors or other problems? And, uh, you know, we've talked a, a bit about that, and no, we, we don't believe. Yes, it comes from different manuscripts. I love the manuscripts that the King James and the New King James comes from, and I use the New King James when I, when I teach here. Um, but I love reading the NLT as well. I read that in my devotion. I love reading that in my study time and comparing scriptures. And, and as I've read through the New Living Translation, uh, though it might come from uh, different, you know, uh, manuscripts and such, I see that it still presents the gospel message. There's nothing that it's lacking that would lead anybody astray.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of new Christians have given the NLT to so that they they've got something to read. And and the nice thing about at least the um, Life Application Study Bible with the commentary and the the bios and the, yeah. you know, the timelines yeah. and things is really helpful, especially when you're reading through 1st and 2nd Kings and trying to make sense of what's, who's he talking about, mm-hmm. which king now, is this the north, is this exactly. the south, and so when you look at the timeline and it's really clear. Um, and the nice thing too is, even though they're using uh, some different manuscripts, but they also for certain words, when there is a, a question of, well, this wasn't taken from them, they give you the option to look down the page and go, oh, this manuscript, yeah. it's called this. so you can. Yeah. Then make that uh, decision. Perfect, you yeah. know, the Holy Spirit can say to you, nah, I think this means this instead. Great. So you're not losing anything. Uh, and it gives you a different perspective. It's more of a, it's not quite just a thought for thought translation, but it's, it's more mm-hmm. towards that end as opposed to sure. a word for word. But nothing is a word for word. Let's get that clear that yeah. if you tried to make everything word for word, it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. good.
0: Okay, Randy, how about this one? The Bible talks about. God sending a strong delusion in the end times. Do you think that COVID-19 is part of that delusion?
2: Yeah, I don't think it is the strong delusion, but I think it has shown, shown me at least how um, easily we can be deluded because there's been a lot of um, people that have just totally bought into something that, and they're not even willing any, to look any further past it. They almost seem to be happy in the place where they are. And I, it's kind of strange as I watch it because I, I literally see people that, I'll go for a walk in the morning and I'll see somebody coming towards me, their mask on, the hood is on, um, they're scared. And I can tell that as I'm walking along the sidewalk. And so I will purposely go right out up towards the road. And even as I'm walking by, they're grabbing the hood and they're, they're pulling away from me because they're so afraid they have been deluded by this fear that is just pounded into them day after day. Every morning they get up and they listen to the news and they hear the same thing over and over and over again. Can't even watch a commercial on TV anymore without it being, or even watch TV without it being Mm -hmm. pounded into them. So I see for me, I wouldn't say this is a strong delusion, but it's really given me an eye opener to what a strong delusion will do and how it will literally just take over the minds of Pretty much everybody. So we're not there yet, but again, just indicators that we're getting so close to that So time. many
0: of these things that we're seeing, certainly we look at as being definite precursors to what the inevitable end thing is going to be here. And so uh, we're seeing that a lot. couple more here, guys. Um, who or what is the divine counsel or the council of the holy ones or sons of God? Many verses reference that. I've heard it said at the end there, I've heard it said that they, the council, are mentioned Genesis 1, but I cannot see it. So we believe the divine council of the sons of God is referencing angels when we talk about these verses here. The Genesis 1 account, I, I don't know exactly what is being referred to there. I'm, I'm imagining that when we read, let us make man in our image, they're referencing that. As many people have said, this is a reference to, you know, the angelic creation that God is talking to. We believe, no, he's talking to, he's speaking in the Trinity, let us make man our image, that it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that are conversing there. And so that's what we believe. So yeah, divine counsel, Holy One, Sons of God, uh, referencing angels, but not in, in Genesis 1. And then the last question here. God's Word warns us of false teachers. What makes a false teacher? What should someone be looking for in a church or a pastor? Um, short. <laughs> short. Did I hear short? Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Definitely anybody that's over like five foot seven, man, you got to really question them, dismiss them. Okay. Randy, why don't you take this one here?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm five eight, so I think I better just walk away. (laughs) I I used to be at least.
0: Oh,
1: that's great. If you can dunk a basketball. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay.
2: Um, False teachers. Jesus warned that uh, false Christs and false prophets were going to come and attempt to deceive God's elect. The best way to guard yourself, people, to know if you're in the presence of a false teacher is to do what? The know know the, word. the Word of God. Know the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, you will know when you're, in the, when you're under a good pastor or you'll know when you are dealing with somebody who's um, a false teacher. The Bible says to recognize them by their fruit. And so when you're looking for fruit, there was three specific tests that you can apply to a teacher just to see what he, his accuracy is in his teaching. And one was, does the teachers, what does the teacher say about Jesus? That's huge. Because if that teacher denies that uh, Jesus is equal with God, or he downplays the sacrificial death, or he rejects Jesus' humanity, you have a problem. Uh, does this teacher preach the gospel? Another huge one. you got so many t- uh, preachers out there who will teach all kinds of things. They may tell you, you know, God loves you, God wants us to feed the hungry, God wants you to be wealthy, um, but they never get into what the actual gospel is. They don't want to talk about sin. Sin is something that they will tend to avoid. And so a third one is, does this teacher exhibit character, character qualities that glorify the Lord? Um, Jude 11 says, they have taken, a, taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's air, and they have been destroyed by Korah's rebellion, which literally just talks about their pride, greed, and just rebellion, just having a rebellious nature. So ultimately, uh, false teachers are very good at what they do. They can, and if and if you don't know the word of God, you can really get involved with these people. And that goes into everything from cults and all different things to some guy who's maybe got the biggest um audience and or biggest church assembly in all over the planet, and he sounds great, but he's just not proclaiming the truth. If your pastor does not believe in the inerrancy of scripture, you have a problem yep, yep. and so again, I just say to you, know the word, know the the key points that you need to know about who Jesus is and the Trinity, and just all the basics. And then you can basically get a pretty good idea whether or not you have a good teacher or whether you have a false teacher. I can assure you, you have a very <laughs> good teacher. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's... <clears throat> and, and I've invited over the years many times, if you ever hear me saying anything contrary to God's word, you are free to take me out back and, and beat me down. I mean, maybe... You have maybe to a, be, You
2: have to get there first. Maybe a we.
0: verbal, yeah. Maybe a verbal rebuke to begin with might be helpful. But honestly, like if ever you hear me say anything, you need to call me out on it. And you need to question me on that, and and we need to deal with that to make sure that anything I'm saying is lining up with the Word of God. So you're you're free to do that anytime with me. Um, and so yeah, thank you for our, our leadership in in the church here for everybody, and just um, thank you for you guys for answering these questions with me here. Uh, Thank you for you being patient because we've gone long today here um, in this service. And I hope that's been just encouraging to all of you. We're gonna wrap it up, let me pray. And then we're just gonna have a couple of quick announcements and then um, you guys are, are good to go. So Lord, thank you for our time here together today just to discuss these things. And again, I pray for anybody that might be listening right now that doesn't know you. Lord, our heart is that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, let them just have that, Uh, heart that's just being open to you and their need for you Lord because only you bring forgiveness of sin only you bring life and hope you bring joy and I pray that more and more people would experience that encounter that and and receive that for themselves and so may we as a church just be instrumental and fruitful and see many come to know you Lord and so lead us on from here now bless this day may we be a blessing to you and one another we ask in your name Amen. Uh, A couple things guys as as has been mentioned um, several times here today you know as we live in these interesting, strange times, don't let the focus become about vaccinations, COVID, you know, restrictions. Um, Be careful that that becomes your emphasis. Let your emphasis be living for Jesus and showing Jesus to people. Um, I think it's so easy to fall into that uh, mindset of just like, well, it's just, you know, doomsday, come Lord Jesus. And I'm I want Jesus to come, don't get me wrong, I'm ready for that, I'm looking forward to that. But along with come Lord Jesus, may we be taking up that invitation of Isaiah that says, here I am Lord, send me. May we be those that are stepping out to say, I wanna share with people the hope that we have in Jesus because people are discouraged, people are hopeless, people are, are down and we've got the answer and the hope for them, it's in Jesus. And so may that be what our life is about right now, proclaiming Jesus and the hope we have in him, rather than just throwing up your hands saying, come Lord Jesus, oh it's all going down. No, just understand the Lord wants to do a work until he comes back. He's still at work. And so may we be active in that and partnering with Jesus in these things and living that life as a witness. And I wanna just encourage you guys as you come and as you go again, as we're getting ready to dismiss, please be wearing your mask as you're walking about in the building, as you're coming, as you're going. Be sensitive of our neighbors. We got a new neighbor now in the um, room next to us here, and so there's a few people in there. Just please be aware as you're out there and talking in front of the stores. Just, you know, don't be saying anything weird or, or rude around people. I, I would never think that would be happening anyways, but just be sensitive um, to them. Be wearing your masks around there, and just be loving, you know, your neighbor um, as, as we're called to do. And uh, just be blessed, be encouraged, guys. Have a great week. We're gonna have a couple quick announcements from Bryce here, and then you're free to go.